Today we're reading from Colossians, the first chapter, verses 1 through 12. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the body and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because you have heard, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that came to you. All over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras and our dear fellow servant, who is faithful, a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may have a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Amen. There was a study done two years ago to see how people really spend their time. Now, there are 24 hours in a day, 8,760 hours in a year, and with an average lifespan of 78 years, we get about 683,280 hours in our lifetime. Sounds like a lot, right? Well, let's take that 78 years, and let's see what the study came up with. How are we spending our time? 25 years of those 78 years are spent sleeping. Women spend 17 years just dieting and losing weight. We spend a whole year cleaning. We spend two and a half years cooking, but almost four years just eating. Women will spend a whole year's time just deciding what to wear. And another year and a half just working on their hair. And it's really no wonder because it, in the study they discovered that men, on average, spend a whole year of their life just looking at women. We spend over 30 years in front of some sort of digital electronic device. Computer, TV, iPad, iPhone, 30 years. 
And we spend nine years watching TV with two of that, two years just watching commercials. And another year of that, get a load of this, just looking for something to watch. That's just clicking, clicking, next, next, next. Channel surfing. We spend a year of our life just hitting that button on the remote. Is that really how we want to spend our time? Is that what God created us for? I think we want to live lives of purpose. Lives that glorify God. And if we want to do that, then we have to rethink our lives. We have to rethink life's meaning, life's purpose, life's priorities. Now, our challenge for 2017, our call to action was that one word, impact. And if we want to continue to make that impact in our families, in our friendships, in our community, we have to rethink life. And that's the series we start today. We're going to start in Colossians. Now, Colossae was a small church. It was a small church in a small community miles and miles away from the important cities. And it's in an area now known as Turkey. It was a church that Paul had never visited. He had personally never been there. If it's small and Paul's never been there, why would he even write? Why, why is he so affected by them? Why write to them? Because though they were small, they were having a great impact. They were influencing all the towns around them. And Paul knew that if he could encourage the Colossians in their faith, then their impact would continue. When Paul writes a letter, it's always with a purpose. When Paul writes his letters to churches, there's always a problem. And he's always writing the letter to fix the problem, to bring that church right back to Christ. And that's what he's doing with Colossae. When he writes to them, he's encouraging them, don't go back to the way you used to be. Remember where you were, but don't go back. Because the community around them was very diverse. There were Jews, there were Gentiles, there were pagans. They were all living together in this one area. And there were also many different beliefs in this area. We'll call them isms. The most dangerous ism that they were affected by was Gnosticism. What it was doing was denigrating the deity of Jesus. It was minimizing his life, his death, and his sacrifice. You know, we have many of those isms today that work to draw us away from Christ as well and minimize his role as Lord and Savior. We have secularism. It's the belief that rejects religion and believes that morality is built upon the well-being of man right here and right now. There's no afterlife. If the majority says it's good, then it's good. If the majority says it's bad, then it's bad. Nothing to do with Christ. Nothing to do with God. Or the relativism, where different groups can have different but equally standards of truth. Equally value standards of truth. How is that possible? How can one truth be the exact opposite of this truth, and yet they're equally valid truths? That doesn't make sense. 
But the world says, no, it does, because what might be immoral for you is not immoral for me because I have my own truth. Or Darwinism, the belief that every living thing came from one living cell millions and billions of years ago. Or atheism, which is a disbelief in all God and deities. Or universalism, the belief that all roads will go to heaven. Who needs Jesus? We're all headed to heaven. Universalism, we're all headed there. And that's just a small sampling of all the beliefs that are out there that are drawing people away from Christ. And that's why the letter to the Colossians is so relevant for us today. My prayer is that this study of Colossians will challenge us to rethink life and challenge us to go deeper in our lives with Jesus. Now, Paul begins his letter by challenging and encouraging the Colossians and reminding them that they're God's holy people. Remember who you are. Remember who you are in him because of him. And he commends their faithfulness. He calls them faithful to the holy people that are faithful. What a comment. I want to be known as faithful. What about you? And Paul continues. He says, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Remember, Paul has never visited this church But he's heard of their faith. This small church that's all but unknown, that is just this tiny little blip on the map, they are known for their faith in Jesus Christ. Their faith in Jesus was making an impact on the lives of all of those in the surrounding communities. And they gained a reputation for their faith. As we rethink life, as we look at our church, are we known for our faith? I believe we are. You know, South Florida is a very highly transient area, but we have families move in and out all the time. And we've had some families come to us for just a short time, but they've come from areas where they were a part of mega churches, really large churches. And they came to us, a small church, and they were hesitant to come. But there was something that kept drawing them to us. And then when God took them and moved them to another place, this is what they would say to us. We've never seen faith work the way it does at your church. Your church is faithful. So much so, we're so impacted that when we go to our next place, We don't want to go to a big church anymore. We want to go to a small church. Because in the small church, we're a somebody. And we see faith just expand in ways that we've never seen before. So, yeah, I think our church is a faithful church. I believe we're faithful. I know what's going on in some of your lives. You're known for your faith. You know, Paul wasn't thankful for the Colossians because of their church building. He wasn't thankful for the type of worship music they played. He wasn't thankful for their order of service. 
He was thankful for their faith in Jesus, the faith that was having an impact on the people around them. So let's make it a little more personal. Let's look inside ourselves. Since our goal is to rethink life, where is your faith? Is your faith at the center of your life so much that that's how you're known? In times of trouble, do you go to him? In the good times when things are going well, who gets the glory? Because if your faith in Jesus is at the center of your life, your life is going to be different. Now, most of us, we've heard about Jesus through another person. And I bet that person was different, and that's why you are attracted to them. Because they had something different that nobody else had. And because Jesus was at the center of their life. Many of us are known by many titles. Mom, dad, aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa, aunt, sister, brother. They're all great titles. But can someone say about you, that's a person of faith. I know their faith. Because that's our goal. Because there's someone in your life, I know it, that is thankful for you. There is someone in your life that's thankful for the presence and the influence that you have on them. And you have the ability to show them Jesus when you have faith in Jesus at the center of your life. And I know, I know many of you, and you are doing that. And that is a blessing. That is a gift. The second thing that the Colossians are known for is their love. They loved God's people. Because when Jesus is at the center of your faith, it manifests itself in the way you love others. It's a fruit of your faith. We talk a lot about love here. Part of our vision, loving in ways that matter. Because love makes an impact. There are people in our lives that we would just like to ignore. They make us uncomfortable, and so it's easier to pretend they're not there. There may be people that irritate us, or they're just downright mean and uncaring. They're hard to love. If you're a parent, you've probably experienced a child bullying your kids or, or someone being mean to your kids. It's hard to love that person. I don't want to love someone that's picking on my kids. I don't even want to love the people that cut me off in traffic. But remember, Jesus loved Judas. He had good reasons not to. But he loved him anyway. Jesus was praying for the soldiers that were nailing him to the cross. He's our example. So we have to strive to love others as our Savior did with that same love. And we can't do it on our own. That's why we need Jesus. Because it's his power in us that will help us to love. And because Jesus is at the center, we will choose love. 1 John 4, 8. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. 
And it continues in 1 John 4, verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, they cannot love God whom they have not seen. Love always makes an impact, not only on the receiver, but also on the giver. In our times at the laundromat when we do our loads of love ministry, and Diana, I'm going to pick on you a little bit because you touch my heart every time we go. Diana shares with us, I'm so nervous, I'm too shy, I don't want to do this, it makes me uncomfortable. And she goes up to every person that comes near her, and she prays for them. The last time we went last weekend, she went up and she said, well, can I pray for you to a young woman? And the young woman was so overcome, she said, can you pray for me right now? And she did. But the most beautiful thing was not so much the woman that was getting the prayer, but watching Diana come back to share what had just happened. Her face was radiating with the joy of the Lord. Because she's, do you know what Jesus just did? Do you know what Jesus just allowed me to do? That's that love that goes to the giver and the receiver. That's when you know that Jesus is at the center of your life. When you have that kind of joy. Paul commends the Colossians for their faith and their love by reminding them where it came from. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. Our faith and our love are possible only because of our hope. We have hope in God's promise of eternal life. We have hope in a future because we know that we're in God's hands. Jesus died and rose again, bringing us hope. And now we live in anticipation of all that God has for us. Do you ever see kids waiting for Christmas? Do you ever plan a family vacation and you just can't wait to go? That should be that excitement and anticipation that we have for heaven and what God has in store for us. It encourages our faith, and it expands our love. And it should make us nice people. It should make us fun people to be around. You know, the the story we shared earlier about the experience yesterday with the tow truck and and the whole deal, you know, when we got in that tow truck and and we were laughing, and, and the tow truck driver, he just looked at us and he said, what, you guys are awfully happy. What You know, most people are really cranky at me and yelling at me when I come pick up their car. And we just kept talking and talking and, and then to find out that he was a Christian as well. And in this moment, it was like we were old friends. It was like we had met each other before, like we had known each other for years because our common bond was Jesus Christ. Everyone you meet may not be a Christian, but they're going to see Jesus through you. And if you're cranky, if you're not being nice, then that's what they're going to relate back to Jesus. Love makes an impact. This is how Paul says it to the Colossians. 
The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed yours. Impact. Wherever the gospel is preached and sown, fruit grows. If the gospel has penetrated your life, then your life will be fruitful for God. Paul's highlighting the concept of changed lives. Remember, there are false teachers around them, false messages. But Paul's saying, there's a change in you. The power of God has come and changed you. The power of God is working through you. You see others whose lives are changed because of the power of God and the power of his word at work. The others around you, they're not changed. They're giving you a message that's drawing you away from Christ, but that's not the power of God. That's why they're the same. And he's reminding them, you're changed. And the people that hear your message, they're changed too. Impact. You're different because your strength comes from the Lord. And the power in you to change is from the Lord. And then Paul's prayer continues for the Colossians. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. And he continues, I pray that you'll be strengthened in his glorious power, that you'll have endurance and patience that you need. You ever look for a prayer for a friend? That's it. That's a powerful prayer for someone. That's a friend, family. Anyone that you know that needs, pray that prayer. Put their name in that prayer. That's a powerful prayer. One of the most common questions asked of pastors, what is God's will for me? I don't know what God's will for me. How do I know what God's will is for me? Now, in our humanness, we like to think that God's will for us is like a road map. There's a starting place and a finish place. Kind of like one of those mall maps where you look at it, there's a little blue star that says you are here. And then you figure out where you want to go and you kind of navigate your way. Oh, okay, now I know where to go. God doesn't do that. Nowhere in Scripture does... God give a road map saying, this is my will. Here it is, all laid out, and he pulls out a great scroll. He doesn't do that. God's will is first and foremost about our relationship with him. When the Israelites were in the desert, there was no map to guide them. But God gave them himself. He gave them a pillar of a cloud and a pillar of fire to lead them. They only had to keep their eyes on that. And as they did, their will and God's will were lined up. Abraham, he was told to go. There was no map. One step at a time. Noah, he built an ark. There was no radar directing that ark in the water. God gave him a rainbow. He said, this is my promise. God's will is not kept hidden from us. 
He just reveals it step by step as we yield to him and as we obey. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathways of your life. I will advise you and watch over you. We don't have to search for God's will for our lives. Because when our heart is right with Jesus, his will will find us. We have to look to him to guide our steps. One step at a time. You see, our problem is we try to rush the steps. We get impatient. And then we try to make our will God's will through our impatience. There's a story of a vagabond who was traveling, traveling, traveling. And a gentleman had come across his path. And he said, where are you walking to? And the vagabond said, oh, I don't know, wherever the road takes me. The gentleman said, well, okay, but what happens when you come to a fork in the road and there's two places the road goes? Then what do you do? How do you decide which way to go? And the vagabond said, well, what I do is I take a stick, I throw it in the air, and whichever direction it points when it lands, that's the direction I go. It was silence, and then he said, But sometimes I have to throw that stick up in the air six times to get it to go the right direction of where I want to go. We do that with God. We do that to him. We throw our stick up over and over and over until it lands the way we want. And then we say, oh, look, I found God's will for me. That's not how it works. You know, I talked with Pastor Debbie yesterday, and she she gave me permission to share this story. Years ago, when she was starting to come to a church and they were doing spiritual gifts tests, now she loves to sing. You guys know how much she loves singing. And every time she would take the spiritual gifts test, it didn't come up music as her spiritual gift. And so she took the test 30 times because she kept trying to get, she would adjust, she would tweak her question answers So she could get music. And no matter how many times she tweaked her answers, no matter how many times she took the test, it still didn't come up with music as her spiritual gift. We do that. We try to fit our will to God's will, but telling him, this is what I want to do. And I think this is what you want me to do too, Lord. We need to rethink our lives. Is Jesus at the center of our lives? Is Jesus at the center of our faith? Because if he is, we'll be different. We'll live lives that are honoring and pleasing to the Lord and bearing fruit in all that we do. Because it's his power that's at work within us. Fritz Kreisler was a famous violinist back in the 20th century, early part of the 20th century. And he related the story of how he acquired one of his violins. And he loved playing with a passion. He loved playing violins. And he came across this one violin at a collector's home. And it was beautiful. It was in a case. And he approached the collector. He said, can I buy it from you? And the collector said, no, no, this is my prized possession. You may not have it. 
And Fritz just persisted and persisted. Please, before you doom it to silence, please let me play it just once then. And the owner, the collector, said, okay, fine. He handed it over. And Fritz, in his own words, he said, I played this violin as if it was my last ever. And the collector, hearing it, hearing the beautiful tunes that were coming off of this violin, tears in his eyes, he looked at Fritz. He said, I have no right to keep this anymore. It belongs to you now. Go out into the world and let it be heard. That's what God's saying to every one of us. We've been given a great gift. We have to take it out there. That gift of eternal life. That hope of heaven that brings us peace, that brings us joy, that brings us love when the world says no. The world can't take it from us. But it's us. It's our responsibility to go out there and give it. We need to let the world hear it. We must rethink life's meaning. We must rethink life's purpose in the light of Jesus Christ. We must rethink how we are living our lives in the knowledge of the message of Jesus. And we must go out into that world and let it be heard, not just with your words, with your actions. Actions have impact. Love has impact. Rethink how you respond out there. Because when you're in here, we're all nice to each other. We all like each other. It's The real test is when we go out there and we're shining that light for Jesus. When we're cranky out there and they say, oh, that person's mean. And then they find out, oh, that's a Christian. What are they going to say about Jesus? The light you shine, the light you bring out, is the one that's reflecting back on your Savior. We need to rethink how we live our lives. We need to rethink our priorities and rethink how we're representing our Savior. Holy Father, we thank you for the rain today, Lord. We thank you for for the beauty it brings. Because in the rain and the storms comes growth. In much the same way in our own lives, Lord, as the storms come, we grow stronger out of them. We see you more clearly. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you remind us who we are in you. We pray that you remind us how great and awesome you are. Because sometimes, Lord, we forget. We take it for granted. Lord, may we never forget what Jesus did. The love and the sacrifice that you've done for us. 
Heavenly Father, as we leave this place, may we shine brightly for you. May we bring glory and honor and live lives that are pleasing to you every day of the week, not just on Sunday. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.